I just want to make this confession to you. Uh, we, in church, we do things that's weird. And what I mean by that is that there are things that we do in church that you just don't experience anywhere else. And so if you're not familiar with it, it can be very odd. Um, and so this morning we had a baptism, which is one of those things that you just don't see anywhere else. Um, in our first service this morning, we had what we refer to as a family dedication. Lots of other churches refer to it as baby dedication. But it's a time for parents, actually they've gone through a, a class the last couple of Sundays to come and say that they want to raise their kids in a way that pleases and honors God. And so that's, that's something that's pretty unique to churches. And so uh, if you are new with us, I just want you to know, if we ever do anything that you think is strange or you don't really understand or you hear something in a message and you're like, hey, I'm not really sure about that or I don't understand that or I want to know more about that, you always have the freedom to ask questions. Uh, what we want to do is do everything that we can so that your faith comes alive. And what we mean by that is that faith guides everything that you do. And so I do think that for that to take place, like if there are questions, there need to, needs to be answers to those questions, and we're going to be available to that. And so I will be available after the service this morning out at our information table. I'll kind of hang out over there. And so if you have questions about anything that you saw this morning or uh, about the message you're going to hear here in just a minute, I'd be glad um, to answer those questions, but also know at the same time, uh, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, which I'll just be honest, I don't know that I would be, um, you always feel free to email me um, and let me know, like, hey, here's my question, this is what I was thinking about, or I'm not really sure about that, or whatever, and my email address is bills at thetablecc.com, so it's really easy, just first name, last initial, bills at thetablecc.com, and absolutely every time, I will always um, answer those emails and stuff. Because again, I want to, if you have questions or you're searching or looking for something or don't understand something, I want to um, answer those questions, provide clarity uh, if at all possible. So I'm just excited to have all of you with us this morning. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, thanks for uh, the privilege of being able to gather together in your name today. Thanks for, uh, again, for Allison and what you've done in her life, what you are continuing to do in her life. And Father, as she is an example to all of us, I know that there are probably some um, in the room today who haven't yet that, taken that step of baptism to say publicly that they're a follower of Jesus. And so maybe through something that they've seen or maybe something that they're getting ready to hear, God, that you would do something that would um, give them the encouragement to take that step um, and declare publicly that they're a follower of Jesus. So, Father, as we spend a few minutes in your word, I pray that you would guide our time, that you would help us not to be distracted by anything that uh, takes place around us, that I would be able to communicate clearly, um, and that, God, ultimately, you would be at work in our hearts, because unless your spirit is at work in us, um, we could be here for the next 30 minutes, and it would be useless. Um, so, Father, I pray that you would just continue to meet with us, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I am a, a, a big fan of superheroes. Uh, just so you know how much, our family, we have seen all of the Marvel movies that have come out in the last 15 years, minus one, and that is the one that's currently in the movie theaters that I think just opened this weekend. We just haven't had a chance to get there yet. I'm sure at some point we will uh, go and watch it. And even uh, with the limited series that have been released to Disney+, Plus, it's only been recently that, that we've started a couple of them and thought, man, that's kind of weird, and we haven't um, kept up with them. But I think superheroes are great. Because superheroes have abilities that we do not have. They can do things that we cannot do. They rescue us. They save the day when we are lost and without hope. That's when they show up. 
Now, for those of you that have seen the first Avengers movie, which has come out a long time ago now, I want you to remember back to that if you haven't seen it. You're missing out. You need to watch. It's really good. But it tells the story of what's referred to in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It shows up quite often in some of the later movies. It's called the Battle of New York. And so through a series of circumstances, a portal became opened, allowing aliens to invade New York City. And as the aliens show up, the normal human population just begins to run for their lives, but there's nothing that they can do. The police show up, and then the National Guard are called in, and it becomes very clear quickly that their weapons, their guns, aren't able to stand up to the weapons of these alien invaders. I mean, there is literally nothing that a normal human being can do to defend themselves. And just when all hope was lost, that's when the Avengers showed up. And so it's Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk, and Thor, along with Hawkeye and Black Widow, they are the ones who were able to defeat the alien invasion because they had abilities that normal people did not have, and so they could do what normal people did not have the ability to do. But I want you to imagine with me for just a second that someone who lived through this fictional Battle of New York, what it would be like if they told this story about that battle. When the portal opened and the aliens began to flood through onto the streets of New York, we had no idea what to do. We just began to run, looking for a place to hide, but there was no place to hide. Their weapons were so powerful. I mean, they were destroying cars and buildings, and we just didn't know what to do. There was nothing that we could do, and when all hope seemed lost, that's when the Avengers showed up. And then we got together and began to develop a plan and a strategy to defeat the alien invasion. And so we fought valiantly that day. And yes, the Avengers and I defeated the aliens, saving all humanity. Now, objectively speaking, the events of that day could be described this way. When the humans could do nothing, the Avengers did everything. But with just a small tweak, a change of a detail, all of a sudden somebody could tell that story and make themselves the hero of that story. It was with three simple words that Jesus invited his first disciples to become his followers. Come and see. And when he uttered those words, it was an invitation into a relationship that would change their lives forever. And in this series that we've gone through in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how that same invitation has been given to us. Come and see. It's an invitation into a relationship. It's an invitation to have our lives changed forever, to be redeemed and restored. And it all comes to us because of Jesus. When we could do nothing, he accomplished everything. And so all we have to do is believe because it's an act of pure grace given to us by God. That's what allows us to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the hero of that story. But to hear some people tell it, though, you might think differently. Because sometimes in sharing their story, people will say things like this. And before I tell you what they sometimes say, I want you to know, I don't think that every time somebody says something like I'm getting ready to tell you that they're consciously aware of what they're doing. But sometimes people say things like this. Well, when I found Jesus, or because of Jesus, I can do all of these things. 
In fact, there's even a, a very popular worship song today that says this as part of the lyrics. When I lift my voice, every wall comes crashing down. When I open my mouth, miracles start breaking out. And all of a sudden, when we tell our stories in that way, or when we sing the lyrics of that song, maybe even without thinking about it, all of a sudden we become the hero of our story. But we're not the hero. Because Jesus is. Jesus has abilities that we do not have. He can do what we cannot do. He is the one who came to rescue, redeem, and restore. When we could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything, and Jesus is the hero of our stories. So today we are continuing our study through John chapter 1. And what we're going to do today is focus in on the life story of the guy that we know as John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, we've actually seen his name, shows up in the introductory material. And over the last two weeks, really, that's where we've been. As John, who is not John the Baptist, but John the disciple, the disciple that Jesus loves, so two different people. But as John is writing the life story of Jesus, he begins with some introductory stuff, laying the foundation for the stories that he's getting ready to tell. So we've, the last couple of weeks, been looking at that introductory material, and today we're going to get into the story part, and as John writes his life story of Jesus, he actually begins the story part with the story of John the Baptist. And so that's where we're going to be today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to look this morning at verses 19 through 28. John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. As I read it, or if you have the version, uh, the Bible app on your phone, you can navigate your way to our live event. So on the bottom right-hand corner, there's a button for more. On the next screen, it's about halfway down, you'll see the uh, events. You click on that, and then um, you should be able to find our event really quickly. But here's what we read in John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. It says this, this was John, and again, this is John the Baptist. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I'm not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I'm not, he said. Are you a prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He's the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. By the time that we pick up John the Baptist's story here, he had been ministering for a while. Created a little bit of a following for himself, actually probably quite a bit of a following for himself, to the point that the religious leaders in Jerusalem are beginning to find out about this guy named John the Baptist. So John the Baptist shows up on their radar, and what we read is that the religious leaders in Jerusalem send some priests and Levites to go find out who John is and what he's doing. So we probably understand what a priest is. They work in the temple. A Levite is someone who is from the tribe of Levi, which is a, a, a clan in the nation of Israel. It's actually the priestly clan. So priests come from the tribe of Levi. 
The fact that we, we read priests and Levites, these Levites are not priests, but they probably meet all the qualifications of priests. They're just not serving as priests at the time, but associated with religious leadership. And so they go out to where John was teaching. They want to go find out who he is and what he is all about. And probably as we read that, it's easy for us to think that they're going out with the mindset that they're really critical of what John is doing. Probably the reason that we think that is because of the way that the religious leaders interacted with Jesus, because almost every single time religious leaders interacted with Jesus, they were highly critical of the things that Jesus was doing. I don't know that I would necessarily couch their attitude towards John at this point as critical. I would say skeptical, but not necessary, and, and, and critical, but uh, they're not thinking really bad things about John at this point. And the reason I say that is because there had been a recent history of people that had stepped forward to sort of rally together the people of Israel. The most prominent example of that is a guy named Joseph Maccabeus. So if, you don't, if you've never heard that name before, but you know anything about Hanukkah, Joseph Maccabeus plays into the story surrounding the beginning of Hanukkah. So they're skeptical of, of maybe what John is doing, going to like question him, but not necessarily like thinking he's, he's doing something bad. So they're open-minded about what John was doing, but they go out and ask him who he was, and they say, are you the Messiah? And he said, no. Now, it's important for us, if you know the rest of the story of Jesus, don't think Messiah in the way that we understand Jesus, because their question is not, are you the son of God who's going to lay down your life on the cross for the sins of the world? That's not the question. But their question was, are you the one who's going to restore Israel to prominence? And John said, no. And they said, well, are you Elijah? Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament that we read about. He rode to heaven on a chariot of fire. So we can cue the music for that. But there's a prophecy about the return of Elijah. And so that's why they're asking, are you Elijah? And he said, no. Now, what's really interesting about that is that Jesus later in his ministry actually referred to John as Elijah. And when Jesus said that, he didn't mean that he was literally Elijah, but that he was the fulfillment of this prophecy of Elijah's return and that he was coming in the spirit of Elijah. But when John the Baptist was asked, are you Elijah? He said, no. And over and over again, what really strikes me in this is that John, to these religious leaders who asks who he is, he never takes credit for himself and regularly, consistently points everyone, including these priests and Levites and then everyone who listened to his teaching, he pointed everyone to Jesus because John understood that he was not the hero of his story, but that Jesus was. And in the world that we live in today, that is full of me, self-centeredness, self-promotion. I think the example of John the Baptist in this passage at that time is incredibly important for us to learn from and can be very challenging to our hearts. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because it's so important to remember, you aren't the hero of your story because Jesus is. Even when you have the right heritage, you're not the hero of your story. Jesus is. It's in Luke's gospel that we read some of the background of the guy that we know as John the Baptist. It's really interesting. It's in Luke's gospel. We read about John's birth story. We also read, that's the place where we go to for the Christmas story, the birth story of Jesus. 
And so both of their birth stories are there, and, are, are there and, and really their stories, their lives parallel each other. Because we read about their birth stories with Jesus, we have a couple of stories about his childhood, but really the next thing that we read is when they are ministering publicly. But John and Jesus are related. And I kind of forget how these things work, and so um, somebody could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that John and Jesus are second cousins. Here's the relationship. Somebody figure this out. Okay, so John's mother, Elizabeth, was cousins with Mary. So I don't know if that makes them second cousins or third cousins. At some point, you get a little bit lost in that, right? But we know they're related somehow. And John had the right heritage. If we were to go back and read his birth story, we would find that his father was named Zacharias, and he, Zachariah, and he was a priest. His mother was named Elizabeth, and she's referred to in Luke's gospel as a daughter of Aaron, or a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' older brother. And he was the first priest of Israel and developed the priestly line. And so uh, while John's father is a priest, Zechariah was a priest, his mother Elizabeth also from that line of, of priests. And then they are described this way, as being righteous in God's sight without blame according to the commandments of the law. That didn't mean that they were perfect, but what that means is that if you wanted to know what a God-fearing Jewish couple should look like, that's the example. John had the right heritage, but yet he still understood that Jesus was the hero of his story. I wonder what your heritage is. Heritage could be defined as that which is given to us by the nature of our birth. So typically when we think about heritage, we think of our family of origin, what that family culture was like. Uh, we think about the legacy maybe that's been given to us. And I know as we gather together in this room and those who are watching online, we come from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different families with all kinds of different experiences. Some of us come from the right kinds of families with the right experiences. Others may come from wrong families and you have the wrong experiences. And if we're not careful, though, we can let that heritage begin to write the narrative of our stories. For those of you that have been with us at the table uh, for any length of time, you know I grew up in a Christian family. And so just absolutely blessed to have that legacy of faith that's handed down to me. My parents are Christians highly involved in their church over the years, and so had an incredible influence on my life, building in my life that legacy of faith. But it wasn't just my parents either, because all four of my grandparents are followers of Jesus and highly involved in church and, and, and serving and ministry and things like that. And so it's a legacy of faith that's been passed down to me for generations. And so because of my heritage, it would be really easy for me to begin to think about my story and think this way. Well, man, it like makes sense that I'm doing what I'm doing. Because look at the background that I have. Look at the family that I have. It just makes sense. And all of a sudden, I can write the narrative of my story so that I'm the hero. But I'm not the hero Jesus is. For those of you that came from the wrong families with the wrong background, it would be really easy for you to think, to let that heritage write the narrative of your story, and you think, well, God can never use somebody like me. Or it's possible, too, that the story that you begin to write is you begin to look at all the obstacles that you've overcome and all of the things that you've done, and you begin to think, like, 
I mean, look at what I have been able to do, and all of a sudden the focus is on me, but you're not the hero of your story because Jesus is. Regardless of your heritage, you're not the hero. Even if you have an incredible story, you're not the hero of your story. Jesus is. John the Baptist also had an incredible story. Like I mentioned just a minute ago, it parallels the story of Jesus. The birth story of John the Baptist is very, very similar to the birth story of Jesus because an angel is dispatched to tell a parent that this birth is going to come. So I mentioned before, Zechariah was a priest. That's John the Baptist's father. The time of the first century when John was born, there were lots of priests, and the priestly role and responsibility was rotated around. And there was one time in your entire life as a priest when you could go in and serve at the temple and go into the Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was the place where the presence of God dwelt among his people. And it just so happened when Zechariah was serving as the priest in the temple, he went into the Holy of Holies, and there he was met by Gabriel. And Gabriel told Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth was going to give birth to a son. There was one problem, though. At this point, Elizabeth didn't have any children, and she was well past the normal age of a first-time mother. And so Zechariah responds just like any normal person would. And he said, listen, that sounds great and all, but how do I know this is going to happen? No offense, we're kind of old, so I'm not really sure how this is going to work. Now, here's my paraphrase of the response of Gabriel. What do you mean, how is this going to work? Do you know who I am? My name is Gabriel. Spend time in the presence of God, sent directly from God to you to tell you this. That's how you know it's going to work. And just because you did not believe, you will not be able to speak again until that child is born. And that's exactly what happened. Gabriel left. Zechariah walks out of the temple and he cannot speak. I have no idea what those nine months were like. What people thought happened to him, if he was able to communicate and write stuff down, I don't know. All I know is scripture tells us he did not talk for nine months. At the end of that period, Elizabeth gives birth to a son and then the family is gathered around trying to figure out what to name this baby. Do we call him Zechariah the second? Or is there another family member that we want to name him after? Because that was like 99% of the time, that's the way that uh, especially sons were named. So they're debating what to call this child. And then Zechariah opens his mouth and says, his name is John. First thing that he said, nine months. And then he began to explain what had happened to him and what Gabriel told him. And I am sure that Zechariah and Elizabeth told John the Baptist that story over and over and over again because they wanted him to understand how special he was and the unique plan that God had for his life. But even in the midst of that incredible story, somehow John understood he wasn't the hero because Jesus is. So what's your story? I consider this to be the best part of my job is that I get the opportunity to read your stories. Because Informed, which is our pathway to partnership, it's a class that we have, and we have it every February, June, and September, 
we go through a process where I ask people to write their life story. Some of you are informed now. We talked about this last week, and I am still waiting on your story. So this is a friendly reminder to get those in this week. I'll be honest. I love reading the stories. I'm amazed every single time at sometimes the challenges that you faced. Some of you guys have incredible stories, the things that you've been able to overcome, what God has done in your life, how he's taking you from where you were to where you are. I mean, it is absolutely incredible to read. But don't ever lose sight of the fact you're not the hero of your story because Jesus is. Sometimes it's easy to think, look at what I did with Jesus But the truth of our story is that when we could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything. It's not look what I did with Jesus, but look at what Jesus has done with me. You can have the right heritage. You can have an incredible story. You can even be considered successful. But even then, you're not the hero of your story because Jesus is. I think it's really easy to read through the section we read this morning in John chapter 1 and not really notice the details, not think much about it, and underestimate how hard it was for John to do what he did or how easy it would have been for him to do something very different. Because these religious leaders are sent out into the wilderness where John the Baptist was. He's not in Jerusalem, but that's where these religious leaders are sent from. So at this point, John had probably impacted the lives of thousands of people. And so they go out, they ask John, hey, who are you? And he constantly says, no, I'm not that, I'm not that. And they said, but listen, you've got to tell us something. And his response was, here's my paraphrase, I'm nobody. I'm just a voice in the wilderness saying, make straight the way of the Lord. But then they follow up and they say, John, but if you're not the Messiah, you're not a prophet, you're not Elijah, then why do you baptize? And at that moment, it would have been really easy for him to begin to focus on himself and what he was doing. And we could read that and we would never bat an eye and think anything was wrong because he could have talked about the importance of repentance and why the baptism was so significant, the need for change, all of those things. But he didn't do that. He just said, guys, there's somebody else who's coming and you need to listen to him. And that was the message that he even gave to those of his own followers. He said, guys, if you really want to follow somebody, follow him. And that's when Andrew and John went and followed Jesus. And Jesus said to them, come and see. And their lives were changed forever. Are you successful? Maybe at your work, business, as a parent? I mean, is there any aspect of your life where somebody could look and say, hey, I want to be like that or I want to learn from that? Because when we're successful, it's really easy to begin to write the story of our lives saying, look at all the things that I've done, look at what I've accomplished, and we can point people to ourselves. But in the midst of our success, because there's nothing wrong with being successful, we should want to be successful. In the midst of our success, let's point people to the hero of our story. Let's point people to Jesus. You can have the right heritage. 
We can have incredible stories. We can be considered to be successful, but yet that doesn't make us the hero of our story because the content of our story is this. When we could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything. He has abilities that we do not have, can do things that we cannot do. He came to rescue, redeem, and restore. We did nothing, but Jesus accomplished everything, and he is the hero of our stories. Now, here's where it gets hard. Because in the midst of the culture that we live in, where it is all about me and self-promotion, how do we make sure that we don't fall into the trap of saying, look at me and look what I can do, because that even infects the church. So I'm going to give you three things really quickly to do so that we make Jesus the hero of our stories. First is this, never lose sight of where you'd be without Jesus. Never lose sight of where you'd be without Jesus. Now, that, I don't say that to say if we didn't have Jesus in our lives, all of us would be utter failures because maybe that's not the case. Maybe on the surface, our lives would look really similar. For some of us, it's honestly hard to know exactly what our lives would be like apart from Jesus because if you're like me, came to faith in Christ as a child, um, you know, maybe you're just not really sure how your life would have ended up. Others, though, you know exactly where you'd be because you came to faith in Christ as an adult and there was a radical change. God rescued you from where you were and set your life on a totally different path and you were like, hey, I know exactly where I'd be and that's it. But maybe we're not sure. But I do know this, regardless of the circumstances of our lives, without Jesus, every one of us would be lost and without hope. There would be no meaning and purpose outside of ourselves. And I'll just be honest, as I think about where I would be without Jesus, I am convinced that I would absolutely be consumed with self. If we're going to make Jesus the hero of our stories, we have to always, we, we can never lose sight of where we'd be without Jesus. The second thing that we need to do is continually and consistently make sure that our lives are shaped by Jesus. To do everything that we can to make sure that throughout the course of our lives, we are becoming more like Jesus. Our desire should be that when people see us, they don't see our character, but they see the character of Jesus in us. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And what he meant by that is his hope was that as people saw him, they wouldn't see Paul because he felt like that was useless. He wanted people to see the character of Jesus in his life. And so we have to be continually checking ourselves to make sure that our character is becoming more like Jesus. And so that means that we are We're good, we're loving, we're kind, we're gentle, we're seeking justice, we're extending grace and mercy to everyone around us in the same way that Jesus did. Making sure that when people see us, they see Jesus in us. The last thing for us to do to make Jesus the hero of our story, that we share stories about our hero. That as we understand what God has done in our lives, what Jesus has done for us, we share the stories about our hero so that maybe he could do the same thing in their lives. Because the truth of our story is this. When we could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything. It is not, look at what I can do with Jesus, but the content of our story is, look at what Jesus has done with me. Regardless of what your life has been like, you aren't the hero of your story Because Jesus is, and the more that we embrace that truth, our lives can be changed. Never forget, Jesus is the hero of your story. Will you pray with me?